Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're listening to the Tour Coach Podcast, giving you insights into golf instruction at the highest level from on the PGA Tour to our learning center at Frederica Golf Club. Hi, so welcome into the Tour Coach, sitting here outside of Brogan's on St. Simons Island. Thrilled to have with Kevin Kirk. Kevin, I've been wanting to have you on for a long time. We see each other all the time at tour events. One of the great teachers out there. Thanks for sitting in with me. Thanks so much. And we have been talking about this for a long time. Yep. And we finally kind of got to a home game for you this week somewhat. So it's uh, nice to kind of be able to sit in a nice kind of quiet place. And, yeah, uh, sit a little, little bit by the road. But yeah. but it's but it's quieter than inside Brogan. Yeah, so, but, and I like to do most of these with a glass of wine. So you've been out there teaching a long time. Doesn't make you old. Just That's makes correct. you experienced, yeah. That's right? That's right. That's right. Um, and this is as much for me. Tell me your journey in teaching, how you got to where you are now. I think it's fascinating hearing teachers talk about where they, you know, where they started, how they got there, and let's talk about some of the things you've learned along the way being out there on tour. Well, I mean, I I, I came into teaching as a failed player, like a lot of people. I I'd, uh, was a good junior, good amateur, college all American, and, and had all the earmarkings of somebody who would could have some success playing golf for a living, and and uh, I. I tried my hand at it and, and, and you know pushed it down the track for five or six about six years and for whatever reason I just couldn't get myself organized to be able to play well enough to be able to, to justify staying out there. So I didn't really have a B plan at that point in time. I had graduated from college, had a degree, but so I took a little time off just to try to reflect and figure out what was next. I, I, I took a year off and I worked in the oil field and did a bunch of stuff, traveled around the world and roughnecked and damn. But just did, took some time away from the game to try to give us some space and try to figure out what was going on and, and after a year of roughnecking I decided that you know the golf wasn't as bad as I thought it was <laughs> so I jumped back in and, and uh, thought I'd, I'd try my hand at coaching and I, I really I, I, I started at a little public golf course just outside of Houston in the area I grew up in I just the very first day I went out there and fell in love with it and so I've been doing it for 30 years and uh, I've, I've got to see some pretty amazing things you know along the way I, I kind of fancy myself as kind of like a a little bit of a Forrest Gump. I just kind of stumble along, and, I, and all of a sudden I wake up in these incredible moments and get to meet incredible people like you and, and see things that I, I probably shouldn't be able to see. But I think one of the cool things about what we get to do is the people that you meet and the people that you become friends with. You know, Coop, who's sitting here, like, you know, the, the caddies and the players and the teachers, and, you know, you travel so much together, it's, it's fun. You know, and they become like you know, your your family away from home. I mean, in, in many respects, we spend more time. I probably spend more time with Coop in a lot of respects than I do Yvonne, right? <laughs> um, you know, and so I totally, totally get that. And and but I've admired your coaching and your teaching for a while. You've you've had obviously tremendous success, obviously with Patrick, and I mean, just the list goes on and on. But you said something interesting in there. You said you couldn't get yourself organized. Enough. Correct. Yeah. Okay, and that was a cool word to me because I think one of the things that separates like we see Coop and I were talking about a player on the way over here we'll leave his name out we were talking about another player though but like I think there's lots of folks out there with talent that don't ever organize themselves to maximize that talent to be able to play the tour and then there's guys we were talking in the teaching bay the other day and you brought up like Jim Furyk if you watch Jim Furyk swing or he was sitting here he certainly wouldn't appear to be the most gifted or talented individual, right? But he's one of the great players of our generation. Yeah, I think, you know, Jim Furyk to me is just a, one of the very best players of his era. Right. And 
and you know, not picking on Jim, but nothing about that looks like golf to anybody. You know, yet he's not what we teach. No, and, but yet there, the things that are required to play good golf, he's a master. At. And and I re- I respect him. I mean, you know, his ability to kind of play the game is just it's unbelievable, really. So, um, so I mean, that's really you know. It, being around him and actually watching him at the, at the Ryder Cup in 2014 changed the way I thought about things. You know, really? watching him, he was in a he was in a pod with Patrick, Jordan Spieth, and Matt Kuchar, and they were kind of playing the, the different formats and four balls, and and the young kids were playing the old guys, and Jim Furyk over the course of a couple of days beat both those kids out of a couple grand, and he did it because he was competent because he would he would you know he would when asked to hit a tee shot off the tee and put it in the fairway he did it most of the time. And then when he was hit it onto the green, it was usually on the green, usually pretty close to the hole. Correct side and, always. And if he missed the green, if he didn't chip it in, he tapped it in. And every putty looks like looks like it's got a chance. Right, it was that Scotty for Plank era that he, you know, when he was yeah. young, coming up, Scotty B was, you know, doing really well. And that's the highway play. Yeah, and so what you what you really learn from all of that is it it's about competence. I mean, all these guys with these beautiful swings hit at 30, 40 yards by him every off every hole. And he's just at the end of the day standing there with a can and they're all dropping money in. So, <laughs> they're panting and smiling. Yeah, exactly right. So, and he, he made a career out of that. I mean, he field dressed a lot of really good players because he was simply competent enough and, and did what the game asked him to do, right? To be great at the game, the game tells you what it needs. Mm-hmm. It wants you to hit the ball in the fairway 70% of the time and on the green 70% of the time. It wants you to get it up and down 70% of the time. It wants you to have 29 or less putts around. And if you can do that, you can. You can you can beat anybody in the world, but if you can't do any of that, or you can't do one of those things, of you're gone. So there's been lots of talk with Bryson, right? Yeah. And we, you and I, I know Coop and I did last week at Augusta, a lot of talk that he was going to make Augusta irrelevant, right? Mm-hmm. Not pulling against him, but I also think, like for me, it was cool to see that, you know, he's right. He, I think he tied Andy, right? Yeah. yeah. Do you think that that length is? changing what the game demands of us to play well or is it changing those aspects i think length is you know is is obviously an advantage i mm-hmm. mean if you can put it into the right spots on certain exactly right you play. still got to play golf you still got to be able to put it in play Coop, sit over here so we can hear you better. i think the one, the one thing i would be you know that i think that i that i get a little concerned about with with it with all this you know, the length is coming into the game is it makes some some of the golf courses could conceivably ob- be obsolete. So I think we we do have a, a, a some sort of responsibility to try to maybe try to manage that. Mm-hmm. But as far as it's just pure length, pure length doesn't isn't going to shoot a lower score. It, it gives you an opportunity maybe to, right. but you still have to be able to you know manage your proximity, chip the putt well enough. Uh, you know, it was interesting at the at the U.S. Open. I don't I, I didn't think that was going to work at the U.S. Open. <laughs> I mean, I, I he proved me wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. the thing that made the U.S. Open different was the fairways were so fast and they were so narrow that everybody played out of the rough. And so he's playing now. I mean, out of the rough, but 30 the, yards exactly further. Exactly right. Slot out of the bag. Exactly right. But it, but if if the fairways would have been softer and more people would have got some of the shorter guys would have been able to keep the ball in the fairway, then I think it's you know it's a different it's a different story. I, Coop, I told Kevin uh, yesterday we were talking about this that Lucas led the field or was first top three in ball striking right through the first three days and yet only hit a little over 50 percent of his fairways right so like being a leading the field and being a great ball striker didn't necessarily help you like it would at a normal u.s open in my opinion number was right 
Yeah. Whereas a guy that hit, where if, the, if it's a little fat, if it's a little bit softer or a hair wider, yeah. then the guy like him that's, you know, hitting it right down the middle and missing it by a foot is still in the fairway, then I think he's got a little bit yeah. of an advantage. Yeah. So if I'm standing in line to be big to caddy, that guy's got one thing mastered, and it's lean. See, I don't want to go to a pit, but that, you know, yeah. there's places where these, that's going to be a challenge. Correct. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, every course is where you got to change it and try to figure it out. Yeah, so I mean, and that's really the art of playing, you know, high-level competitive golf is you have to be able to just walk onto that golf course, figure out what is the golf course asking of me, and being able to adapt and adjust your game to be able to do what the course wants you to do, not necessarily what you want to do. I mean, he stood up there and said, you know, this is par 67. Well, it didn't quite work out. I mean, he shot several over par relative to that, you know. And I think that, and and I, I think I think Bryson, I I, I really like that kid. I, I like him because he's. A lot, yeah. You know, he's, he's like a big puppy dog. He's like, he's, he's willing to take things on and try things. I mean, he's got a wonderful spirit about him. A little giggle. Yeah, yeah and he's, he's, he's just, you know, he, he kind of chuckles his way around. And, right. and there's a lot to like about Bryson, you know. And, 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 I, and I applaud him for, for trying to take on some things that are maybe a little bit outside the box. I mean, he's always been that way. Uh, I mean, from the, from the way he holds the putter to the way he swings a golf club, it's all different. And so but this has said that he's got, he's looking at one aspect of the game. He's focusing on that. And right. And so so what happens is if you overemphasize one part of the game, and you don't tend to the rest of the garden. At some point in time, the, the, the garden's going to start growing some weeds. Right. And so you have right. to, so you guys as teachers would have to like real real that in. Yeah. yeah. Take that. So when a player comes to you, suppose I'm a you know a, suppose I'm a guy that hasn't been able to keep my tour card, or just kind of bouncing around on the corn ferry. Where do you start with that player? What's your process? Because I think all of us are a little different. And I, I also want to say that yesterday, I loved it. You hung out with me while I taught Robbie Shelton. That was a and, blast. And, and it was fun. Thank you for letting right? me do that. It that was, was fun. Cool. Right. And I, I think it's cool to get other people's perspectives other other let another set of eyes look at it and bounce things off of but so you kind of saw that obviously i've taught robbie since high school and i told you we were working on but you know where do you start where do you start when you say okay i'm gonna assess this guy's tools and i i'm gonna figure out like because i always feel like if they've gotten to the corn fairy and coop i'd like your opinion on this like i'm always like if they've gotten to the corn fairy they've gotten to the tour they probably have the tools they're just not figuring out the right way to do the shit. Yeah, right. I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think so. That's, that's what Usually, my conversation with them starts about what is their intention. Okay. okay. So if their intention is to, to be on the tour, it, those people will be on the tour, off the tour, on the tour, off the tour, on the tour, off the tour, and that that's purgatory. That is no life for anybody. I mean, you've seen those guys go through that. That 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 will wear you out. Quick. Exactly right. So, I think the guys that I've been around that have seemed to have done well and done better have the capacity to sit down and say, you know something? I think I have the capacity to be a top 10 player in the world, a top 20 player in the world. Okay. And that, by simply making that statement, holding themselves accountable to that, then you can start figuring out, okay, well, what does that mean benchmark-wise for tee shots, for proximity, for all the things that go with it, right? right? But, but, but if you got somebody that's 
that, that it says, well, I just want to be as good as I can be. I just don't think that's good enough. You have to be, you have to be better than you think you can be. You have to sit down and, and call you yourself do. Now up. Now you do these right. things. Yeah. The 2020s, you do, that's yeah. So, so if you got a guy that says, okay, I, I want to be a top 25 player in the world or, or top 15 on the FedEx, you can sit down and benchmark that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, well. You know what required. That's exactly right. So this, this, we've got enough stats now to know that this, that's what this is, right? Are you good enough or not? What's, what, what are you doing well? What needs work? And then organize a plan about that. And so I'm, I'm more interested in kind of their intention, how they organize themselves around, you know, how their game is relative to their benchmarks, and then try to do the least invasive thing possible to help them close the gap. So least I, invasive. That's beautiful. And once you've corralled them, and do you do you plan their like how they go about it? How you know with what they work on? That's it. I try. I try to help them understand how do to, how to do what it is they're trying to do. Right. So, for example, if they're if they're um, let's say that their driving is not good enough. All right. Let's start with the idea. Do you know what you're doing? Right. Let's say they want more. They need a want more accuracy. Yeah. Not yeah. So, accurate. so we can say, okay. Well, do you understand why you're not accurate? Okay. Because it may be that I I know either you know that the confidence they scale can't aim. exactly they can't right. Aim. Exactly right. <laughs> well, well I, you know it's it's confidence, right? Either they're you know unconsciously incompetent. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. they're consciously incompetent. Mm-hmm. They're unconsciously competent, or they're consciously competent. Right? So, so it, it, it's, it's, it, it's taking them through that thing. Do I not want to know what I'm doing? I have no idea why I'm driving the ball out of play. Right. Or I know what I'm doing, but I just can't seem to get it done. Right. Or is it I, I'm not sure what the benchmark is? Right. They're, you got to got to get them to, to be able to, to to get to the right question. And once they get to the right question, it's pretty simple, right? Well, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about that. Or I know what I'm doing. I can't do it. Well, let's talk about why. Right. right. Or I don't. I had no idea that I had to be that good. I thought I could just bash it down there, and that was good enough. Right. And I think that that's where, in our day and time, I didn't know this a lot of these players, young players coming up, is because to me, college coaches focus on how hard they hit it, and their their college coaches to me are so infatuated with distance, yep. and overlook a lot of kids that can play their ass off. That's been my experience. I played college golf, and I've also coached a lot of kids in the college golf system. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not a big fan of college golf. I know I'm going to take on the chin for that. That's okay. I think a lot of them suck. But but but, <laughs> and I'll and I'll tell you why. It's a competition-based model. It's not about development. So they're not actually they don't actually continue to develop the kids. They've got it's a and it stops and it's competing. So so the idea is that you know they go out and they they recruit the, the best talent they can find. They get them on the team. They get them in the pen. Let them compete, and they go out and try to. Comp- to mm-hmm. recruit the next group of kids, mm-hmm. right? So there's not much development that happens. There's a few really good developmental coaches. Very few. But if you start looking at the institutes around the up, around the world, in England, let's say Australia, and some of these places around the world where you see these kids coming out that are like really, really well prepared, you know, they, they, they do continue that development. So if you take a kid in the U.S. that, that at 18 years old has had some, a good developmental program, right. he's been mm-hmm. working under Tony, let's mm-hmm. say, heads off to college and gets in a college program where he can't see Tony, and all he's doing now is, is, is fighting, scratching, trying to keep up with the gym program and schoolwork and trying to kind of, right. you know, get out, get out there and keep his spot on the team. Usually what happens is you get a couple of pretty good years out of them, but after a couple of years, that development starts off, they start on, the, on a downward slide. So most of the time, the kids... Well, then other people start trying to fix them. Oh, my gosh. Right? Exactly and then right. they've got... And then you, you take a kid who most of the time, these young players, have had one voice. Yeah. Correct. Right? And then they get there... And I found that a lot of college coaches 
want to be us. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to take it on the chin for saying that, but right. I, listen, but, I, I, I understand the system that they work in requires that they operate a certain way. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really the system's fault. It's not it's not the coach's fault. They're they're doing what they're, what they're trying to do to kind of optimize their their best chances to kind of to win. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's not. It doesn't really do a lot for, the, for developing players. And so, in these countries around the world, where you where you do have it. They, get, they, they take those kids from 18 and they focus on developing all the way out to 24. It, in okay. this country, unless they can kind of stay pretty close to Tony, let's say one of Tony's right. kids where he can kind of get to him frequently enough to kind of get some some, mm-hmm. some feedback, he's going to get a couple pretty good years out of himself. And by the time he gets to a junior, he's going to start on a downward slide. He's going to be able to stop. stop. Exactly right. Absolutely. So a lot of our best talent falls victim to trying to operate in that system. I think that's a lot of those kids that people sit around tables like this at a bar yeah. and they go, well, you remember that you? so-and-so kid, man, that kid, when he went to college, man, that kid, that kid go? kicked yeah. everybody's ass. So you see now, a, lot, a lot of really good freshmen and sophomores in college, you know, college golf, and, oh, yes. but you don't see a lot of good juniors and seniors. And I, that is shit. They should be getting better every year. I remember telling, I think it was Robbie <laughs> Shelton, you know, he left after his junior year, didn't play great his sophomore year, played awesome his freshman year. I remember telling him once the conversation came up, I said, <laughs> my old buddy Wayne Flint, great teacher in Birmingham said I mean you go to if you go to college in any other profession you go there to learn what you need to learn to go into the world to make enough money to provide for you your family and eventually retire well so so if you go as a golfer and after a year of playing at that level you've learned what you need to learn you're ready to go and, and I would say, I mean, if you're a really good player, college golf slows you down. I mean, mm-hmm. you think Rory McIlroy would have done okay in college? You think that? I mean, I, that would have crippled him, right? Correct. Gotten under a coach, and the coach tells him, "Okay, you can't well, go to this tournament." Didn't you say something that you said got you in trouble. You did too. Yeah. I'm gonna say something that got you in trouble. I know somebody that was a great player. Yeah. That had somebody tell them they couldn't use their woods because he hit it real far. You know what I mean? To, just to yeah. prove your right. point. Yeah. yeah. Just to prove your point. You know. Now I'm not saying that all, I'm not saying that all the college coaches are bad, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying no, the no, system no. is set is set up. It's it's a competition based model. It's not to make those kids better. It's a talent ID. It's about talent ID and competition. It's not about development. Mm-hmm. And those are two very very different pathways. Right. Okay. The developmental pathway continues to kind of nurture those kids along and make There's sure that they. There's some great can, coaches. Oh out there. my gosh! There, I mean, some real unbelievable coaches. You know, but. But I, I think that the system is actually set up, doesn't really gear itself for the, the developmental supports that these athletes need. And I think, you know, if you go back and look in, in 1982, we go back in time, let's say 84, 80%, 80 or 90%, let's say 80% of the players on the PGA Tour were from the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. 20 years later in 2004, it was about 50-50. Right. Right. Now it wasn't like everybody says, "Oh, it's a, becoming more a global game." No, no, we got out coached. We put all of our kids in this deve- in this in this trough where it's like dog eat dog. Right. And you got countries around the world that are actually taking those eighteen to twenty four year olds and continue to make them better. Right. So I think that our step forward in, in coaching in this country is not thinking about a junior up to eighteen years old. Right. In the Olympics, in Olympic sports, they consider junior you could be a junior Olympian until you're twenty through your twenty third year. Okay. You turn 24, you're no longer a junior Olympian, right? Mm-hmm. Now the reason that is is because your all your systems don't fully physically develop until you're 24 years old. Okay. So they're so they're not going to compare anybody junior versus senior until all the systems are developed. That's sports science. Now we cannot like that, but that's the reality. That's the way it is. So in this country, we at 18 years old, we ship them off to college, 
and their development stops, right? So we're missing that six-year window of development that the, these, these coaches overseas are using, right? And that's why we're getting our hat handed to us in the Ryder Cup. That's why the President's Cup is soon going to be out of our grasp if we're not careful. And if we don't take some sort of corrective action in this country, we're going to be we're going to be on the backside of it. I think that I watch, but I think there's some wonderful, wonderful coaches out there in our country. You know a bunch of them. Obviously, you. There's some folks I think of, but I do. I think then the kids get out of that program, and I think that they, you know, I think they lose that. I, I had a great conversation the other day. It was at Augusta with Boyd Summerheads, right? And Boyd's son, unbelievable player. Better keep him right there in Phoenix, all I can tell you. Right, and that's what he did, right? He was like, hey, man, like, you know, he's like, hey. And and I always said, I always, I I told him, I was like, it always amazed me that, like, you go recruit a kid because he's an unbelievable player. So why would you change the team around him (laughs) and not keep that development going when they they got there? I don't think coaches do it being college. Right. Coaches do a good enough job of pounding their head how much it's not going to be a cakewalk. Yeah. This is a job you have to work out. Your days are full if you're right. playing or not. Well, I think I think in college they keep them busy. I mean, they're up in the morning, they're in the gym, they've got schoolwork. As soon as they get through, they're out you know, practicing. they got study hall at night. They, they're no free time for, no for a student time. athlete. No. But the problem is, is that unfortunately, all that energy and time is not necessarily directed towards development. It's just direct it's just them trying to kind of stay in this, in this keep up, to meet the right pace and not get behind. If you also start looking at the accumulation of all that work over time on your nervous system, and all of a sudden you're going to you're going to find yourself in a neural deficit, and you're going to have some problems in terms of being able to get anything out. Okay, you, you burn their brains out, and you have a lot of kids walk away from college golf at the end of their career. Hate it. They just they just can't stand it because you because they've been overcooked. So when you guys get a student that you teach for a long time, it's you know it's a special thing because you got you know not only do you see and know what they do, but you can basically feel it. Yeah, I mean, once you get to a certain place with a in a, in a relationship with another person, you can actually you can sense. I mean, you don't even need to talk to them really. I mean, you, you know exactly know their ten- you just know their tendencies. Exactly right. So, I mean, I'm guessing with. Tony and Lucas, I mean, he walks around the golf course. I mean, he looks three fairways over. He knows exactly what's going on. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's I'm not paying attention a lot of the time. You know <laughs> we that. know that. It, but, you know, let's say by luck or chance that you are looking. That is not accurate either because he's out there all the time. Right. I see him. So he is. I'm kidding. But you know just by his body, you know, his reactions, how you know, it's good or bad. Another thing I think that, you know, we're talking being out there on the golf course, but I think one thing that is a negative about us always being out there is that players want an answer for every shot, right? A bad shot. And we, we had that today one time. Look at kind of looks he looks what was that? And I just what didn't answer, there? right? What I just there? I just went and mm, walked, well, right? Because there's a lot of it, sometimes a lot of things that happened. Yeah, I mean like I just don't know that we need you need to know every shot. Well I I think that, you know, golf is an individual sport. And I think the very, very best in the world at some point in time, become self-reliant. They, mm-hmm. they, they, they know what, enough about what they're doing that they don't need a lot of feedback. Tiger Woods being a great example. Yeah, right? Tiger right. Woods doesn't have a coach, right? Because he knows what he needs to know. He doesn't need anybody to he tell him. He knows right exactly here right. with his eyes. So, so I think the goal in coaching is to coach yourself out of the job. 
to the point That's where right. you where you that athlete knows enough about themselves when they see something they understand it and they can correct themselves. I mean that that would be the best case scenario. And, and I think especially as they get to be veterans, and I'll use Lucas as an example. Do are there times and sessions where I think that I do a good bit and coach and teach? Yes, but I also think he's pretty self reliant. He knows the couple things he needs to do right. And 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 they like. I think they like having a set of eyes that confirms what they feel or think. But like when they get to be 35, 40 years old and they've made it on tour and they've won and they've won majors. I mean, I don't know that many of us are jumping in and changing a bunch. And I think there's a bunch of folks out there that like to tell you they do, but I don't think they really do that shit. Uh, I, I think there's there's a high risk of changing somebody that's that's had success to kind of doing something. I think you can try to improve upon it. You can help help them become a better version of themselves, but it, the, the the success rate of people that have tried to kind of change styles or change techniques, you know, after about 22 or 23 years old, you just don't see a lot of success. Rate. Like, you see it's grooved like, in right. because it becomes you know they they already know how to how to do things, so it's just helping them to learn how to do that better, right? right. It's trying it's to getting to where you down. can cover your benchmarks. Right. Right? Can you drive in the fairway enough? Can you get it close enough to the hole? Can you get up and down enough? Can you putt well enough? Right? Mm-hmm. Using your technique. Right. What you do. Exactly right. So how has your, in the years you've been doing this, and especially the years out on tour, if it has, how has your thought process, what you kind of, you know, I don't want to say believe in, but the things that, you know, the things that you like or you look, how have they changed if they've changed at all? You know, I, I came, I was a, I was a really technical player by and during my time period, I, I, I sought out instruction, and I had some of the brightest minds of the game that I had access to. So, my knowledge, my golf IQ was high. Okay. So, who all did you take lessons from? I, I mean, Bob Toski is my primary coach. I went to see Mike Adams. I went to see anybody that would that, that would take see my you. money. Right. Exactly right. But it was always just it, it was always me trying to kind of go to 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 find out more about to try to develop a better understanding, and so. When I started coaching, I and I, I was super curious. I went and talked. I mean, I went to all this, every seminar. At that point in time, the, the, the education system in PGA was pretty good. I thought we would, yeah. you know, we had, a, we had access. You had access to the Butch Harmons of the world and the, you know, the, you know, the, the, the top teachers, and could listen to kind of how they approach things. Uh, I went and watched other teachers teach for a long period of time. But so I, I accumulated a pretty golf, good golf IQ, and I, I developed a set of, of things that I liked. Okay. And so when when person would kind of come see me I would look at their golf game listen to them talk about it and then try to justify in my mind why my set of principles was going to lead them to, to success okay what were your principles I, I mean I was way down the road in terms of kind of the physics you know the, making sure the physics of it was, okay. was good the geometry was good so I mean real neutral based stuff I would probably be something like Jim McLean stuff I mean just yeah. real neutral path really good body motion good time you know, mm-hmm. that was I mean yeah. Something like that. Yeah. You know? I was influenced by Ledbetter's thinking in terms of the, his early stuff, you know, right. kind of the, the golf swing stuff when he's, when he's working with, with uh, kind of adds a five yeah. or two. So, and the golfing machine stuff. I mean, it was all it was, it was it was a culmination of all that plus my my experience as a player trying to kind of work through all that. So I, I developed some things that that I was pretty convinced were going to work just fine. Right and I and I saw I had enough <laughs> positive experience coaching other players into those into that model. That I that it would justify me continuing down that pathway. I, I got to see Toski teach. He's brilliant. I right? worked for uh, three years. I caddied for Patrick Burke. 
Yeah, so see, yeah, you're down there all the time, right? Yeah, and I like what he was magic, right? So then, so when I started stop, when I stopped playing, I had about four or five of my buddies that were still on tour, and they were like, "Well, you can coach me." I mean, it was like the cl- the blind leading the board. You already had your own ideas. Yeah, so I I I I thought it out. I mean, I, I was looking after the the very first year that I started teaching. You know, we had Greg Triggs. Brian Clare, Craig Canada, I mean, all that whole group of kids, right? So they're, they're like, you can help me. And I'm like, well, shit, I don't know what I'm doing, right? You didn't tell them that. Exactly right. Yeah, you know, but, that's a business model. But what they did know is they know that I had st- done my homework and I would, and I, and I had at least studied things well enough that I could, I could, I could possibly help them. Right? You weren't going to mess them up. I was not exactly right. And I, right. cause I, Which was, I don't know that everybody nowadays can say, well, I also had that experience as a player and I knew how sensitive it was, mm-hmm. right. And, and how careful you have to be. And it wasn't really until I kind of got down a little further down the road I ran into a statistician to help me understand really actually what golf, what actually moved, you know, what actually moves the needle in golf. That experience I had, I told you about watching Jim Furyk change the way I saw it. Yeah, from right. just being good to being well, the, the problem I had is I didn't even know what good was. So the thing that drove me out of golf is my perception of good was so high because I was a big practicer. I was in the gym. I was doing it all. My perception of good was so unrealistic that I'd beat myself up and I finally, I finally had to stop. You were way better than you thought you were. Oh my God. But you wouldn't let yourself be good. No, because I, I right. so for example, okay, to be a, to be a world-class player, you got to hit the ball in the fairway about 70% of the time, knock it on the green 70% of the time, get it up and down 70% of the time, 50 to 60% of the time out of the bunker and take 29 putts. That's me, what world-class yeah. golf is. Now, and to me, it sounds impossible, but well, you guys know it. Well, just, just well, to give you some scale, right, to break 80, it's only 50% of those things, right? 50% of the fairways, 50% of the greens, 50% up and down, right? That's cool. He's 40, grinding on it. 40 to 50 and 31 putts. Right. So, but I didn't know that. Now, here's a guy, good athlete, multi-sport athlete, that's me, big practicer, mm-hmm. the 350, you know, the, a couple of those big range buckets a day like we used to, right? Chip, pump my brains out, play golf, in the gym, doing it all. So my expectation was I should be able to do this at 90%. And so as long as I'm out there and I'm getting this 90%, I'm feeling okay. But the second that I, I start falling below that, I start feeling like there's something wrong. Right. Right? Well, 70% is all I needed. So my perception was, was skewed to the point where it, it drove me crazy. The game drove me crazy. I've never thought Right? So, so you see that a lot of the really hard workers, they, they end, that's, that's the path they end up on. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, so once I kind of... We know one. Yeah. I know one. Yeah, we all know one, right? So, right. So I think, you know, the, the thing that, that was the thing that kind of, for me, once I started kind of looking, okay, what is actually good? Well, good is 70% of the time, 5% variance right to left. Okay, that's that's the tour, that's the tour window, the tour cone that they play into, right? So they hit 10 shots from any distance, inside 5% of the distance, 7 out of 10 times in competition, you are good enough. Okay? So... So the problem is, is the second they miss one out of the middle of the face, it's not right on the top of the face. Like, what's wrong? Right. That's good. Stop. Stop whining. Right. Yeah, you know, that's way inside the cone. So once I understood what good was, right, and the second thing of, you know, the the intention I talked about earlier, making sure they were super intentional about what they were trying to do, you know, and then the last thing was just starting to kind of look at confidence and not style. <clears throat> once I got those three things on board, I became a much better coach. I can really phenomenal. help you. So it's not it wasn't so much about style and what I liked. I still have things I like. 
I love watching Adam Scott swing a golf club. Who doesn't, right? I mean, everything about that looks right to me, mm-hmm. right? Now, that's right. So, but, when I, but if Jim Furyk comes in my office, am I going to stuff him in that box? No. Now, five years ago, I would have, and I would have ruined it, for sure. Okay. But if if you start, take a step back and say, okay, how good is good? All right, seven, you know, five percent of the distance, seventy percent of the time. You know what? You know what's what's the intention of the player? Jim Furyk obviously wanted to be really super good. And then, you know, the last part is, you know, you know, do I, you know, helping them just kind of move down that track and, and try to do the least invasive thing I can I can do to help them get get to where they want to go. Makes it much larger of a window. I agree. Explains it. That's why I think. That's why larger. I think you're great. And that's what I think is the Doable. mark of the great coaches. One, uh, an interesting comment once we talked the other night about Billy Herman, right? Billy made the comment about Lucas once, and I said something, and he said, well, I know you're doing a good job because I could watch. It was something to the effect of, I know you're doing a good job because I could watch him swing and I couldn't tell anybody changed anything. That's sure. the gist that's of it, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? And whereas, you know, there's there's Instagram guys and social media, right? And there's guys out there and you, Looks like they're trying to put everybody into that same box. So everybody's going to hit a push strong. So really, what, really, what we should be doing is trying to understand the person in front of us. Okay? Right. Understand how you go about your craft. Mm-hmm. Are you good right. enough? Right. Mm-hmm. Based on these benchmarks and your intention. Yeah. Right. And then how do you how do you do that? As long as you can do it well enough and not going to hurt yourself, then you need to keep doing that. Okay. I don't really care what it looks like. Right? And that's a thing that people don't understand. You guys teach is how do they go that fast and not hurt their body? Well, I, w- I mean, once you figure out how the body is designed to work, I mean, that's the other thing that I did. I <laughs> actually took some time to actually actually study how the body moves and where, you know, how it likes to kind of move. Yeah, exactly. And, so, and, and that, that kind of is really one of the things that if I do have somebody that's competent but are putting themselves at risk for injury, I will stop them and yeah. at least have the conversation. You know, you that's, can... You can yeah, keep doing this, but you're right. you're headed for an injury, okay? And 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 again, along those sets, like I tell people all the time, one of the biggest influences on my teaching and biggest changes was about four or five about five and a half years ago when I met Colby Tuye, right? Yeah. And and he was Colby's the, brilliant by the way. Right. K Wayne. Boom boom. On the, cut it, you know, because it made like I'd been around other trainers, but like I liked that he trained them like athletes. Yeah. I and I liked that he came to do a workout with them on the tee with me. Yeah. Right? Where he would be like, okay, so what are you trying to get him to do? Yeah. Let me go make those parts of the body able to do that better. Right? Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget the one time, like, he asked this kid, a good, good college player, what what have you been doing in the gym? Kids like, I've been doing all these squats. He goes, Were you trying to stand up in the golf suite? Yeah. Right? Trying to yeah. jump up and see right? up Yeah. Because this kid kept coming up. At, and the kid's like, No. And he's like, Well, hell, you trained you train yourself, yourself to do yeah. it. Right? Right. right? But I was like, Well, hell, I've never heard anybody say that. And that's a, you know, a, an example. But like, yeah. but that was a big deal for me because I, un- I started understanding how to help people, how their body affected it. Correct. And then because developing juniors to me is so fun and a big part of what I do is like, well, if you get these kids at 13, 14, and you can get them with the right type of program, you can make a dramatic improvement on what they're able to do. Usually, I mean, puberty is brutal on the human body. Okay, so I'm I mean, still they, going they, through it. They, well, they, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times you see these really young kind of 
yeah. little eight, nine, ten year old kids have these beautiful golf swings, and all of a sudden they grow, you know, eight or nine or ten inches right. in a year, and they can't look like a llama. Exactly right. They look like they're falling out of a tree, right? right? So I, I do think that you know, taking in the developmental process is also understanding how to manage that. How are you going to take a kid that right. who's, who's going through that, right? And and, and try to kind of manage that. And so understanding anatomy and physiology, kind of these develop the developmental sciences. The, the cool thing about golf is that golf's finally is an Olympic sport. There's finally enough money at that we have some really good sports scientists that are helping yep. us understand a little bit about, okay, what is good development look like, right? What is good movement, high right. quality movement look like? So I, I love to watch movement. I'm a, I'm a movement freak. I, I, you know, I, I train my body to move well. I, I love to watch people that right. move well. It's a great movement. It is, it is. And so, so, so uh, developing a, a really better understanding of that, I think, has also been, you know, something that's really helped me as a coach. That's awesome. That's awesome stuff. It's been fun. Been fun having you on the island this week. You know, Tony, I, I would tell you that every time we get together, it's fun. Well, I appreciate and that, I and, and I and I enjoy. I just like picking people's brain, you know, and and I've enjoyed. We've had the opportunity over the last couple of years to walk and watch some golf players paired together. I think Grant, Graham and Lucas were paired together they at sure the U.S. Were. Open. Sure we walked were. a bunch yep. together. And uh, also out on the West Coast at PGA. Yeah, that's right. PGA. Yeah, that's right. Right, and uh, so you know, it's always. I think that's part of the of what's cool that being out here. I yeah. think that we're all, I think all in general, all of us are pretty good trying to learn from each other and help. Yeah, you know? I, I think that's one of the things that I probably appreciate about this tribe of people is that everybody is, everybody wants, while it's a healthy competition, I do think that everybody wants everybody else to do good. I mean, when I saw Dustin Johnson win last week, I was so happy for him. I almost cried too watching 100%, him. 100%, exactly right? right? Was anybody you know, not exactly happy? No. You know, I can't. I don't know anybody that wasn't happy for Claude. I mean, exactly for, uh, right. for, for Claude all, and for, for, for everybody on that team. It's a hard and, thing and to for do. For DJ, right? Exactly and and right. you've obviously been yep. obviously the back one of major. Yep. Man, it's hard. It is right, it's and uh, yeah, so, you put a lot of work into it. Yeah, yeah so that's right. people that work hard. So, you know, the the thing I think that we all probably have an appreciation for is how difficult it actually is. Mm-hmm. So when you see somebody pull off, it's like, man, I'm happy for them. That's that's the coolest. That's just that amazing. Even thing. the ones that know how to do it, don't. It's, it's just well, it's just hard. Experience. It's brutal. It's it's hard thing to do. Scotty Hamilton said on this podcast once, and it, he goes, "I don't think people realize how much all of us like and pull for each other." Oh my, it's amazing, right? right? Yeah. And 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 it's true. Anytime somebody plays really well, winning, play well, right? There's always five or six of you guys. The first one, we're all the first. One <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first thing that happens is your phone is one of your pal, one, some of your tribe right. hits you up, right? Right. That's right. And, and I also think that you know something. Something else that is really is you know seems to be kind of really cool is that that the first thing that happens when a guy after a guy wins a golf tournament, the next week on the on the PGA Tour, what happens? Everybody walks up and gives them a pat on the back. Uh-huh. Right. Every. I mean, in everybody. Because you know how much they deserve it. And whether you DJ like DJ was here this week, everybody be coming up hugging. Whether you like the guy or not, everybody walks by and says, "Hey, man, great job last week. I'm so you happy." Winning your on this tour is so hard. Exactly right. So, so you know, it's it's a hard game. You know, to to to, to win out here is difficult, and so, and I think we all, you know, That's it's, why we do exactly right. You know, and, and so. And I, I also think that I said this to actually to Mark Blackburn. It's like there's so everybody's different. There's so many different people, different types of people playing this, and there's all different types of coaches. It's okay for us all to be different because, like, 
Bryson would couldn't work with me. I like Bryson, but like, I mean, he'd shoot me, yeah. right? I'm too simple and, and whatever. And I wouldn't understand a third of what he says, yeah. right? But like, it's okay for us all to be different. I think that's a good lesson for the world so in I, general. I, I think, I th- I think, <laughs> I think diversity makes us all better. Yes. Okay. And I can, the cool thing about it is we can all learn from everybody, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the time I spent with you yesterday, I picked up a couple of things. Like, okay, gosh, I hadn't thought about that before, right? So, you know, listen to I Coop talk, okay? Yeah. Listen, listen to Coop talk, okay? A guy has got, you know, all the time he's got, saddle time he's got out here. Every time he opens his mouth, you know, there's going to be something that's going right. to fall out. This all that right saddle time and all that bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I learn stuff every every tournament. So, so, it, so the you know the, our life out here is is this this the environment is 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 really primed for learning. We share all learning every day. I've always you thought, know? and as we kind of wrap this up, like my my motto or my thought process has always been. If I was building a perfect instruction team, I would want people that are all great, but really, really different. Because if they were all thinking like me, shit, we'd all come to the same damn conclusion. That's right. right? That's right. And then, yeah. then there'd be a group of people we help. We just wouldn't help because I can't yeah. figure the shit no, out. Yeah, exactly right. Or, you know, you end up with this, this situation like you end up with in business sometimes where you have five people doing the same job. Mm-hmm. Right. So, right. I well, a lot of that doesn't exist out here as we wrap it up. Yeah. It doesn't <laughs> exist because, you know, out here, you know, because people will level it off. You sure. Know? Yeah. I mean, it's, you guys it's know enough. To level it up. <clears throat> but I and, but I think it's healthy. I think the more people put their egos down and say, "Hey, Kevin, I've been working with Robbie since he's in high school. Here's what I'm working on. Do you see anything different? Right? Yeah, no, that like, was, that was that I'm not was worried bad. about Robbie going to see you. Right? No, like, you know I just, what I mean? That was a cool moment yesterday. Right? I mean, I, I, and I, I was there. Yeah. Believe it. And, and I and I really appreciate you know you you know feeling you know. Open enough to just say, "Hey, listen, jump in here. Let's 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 have a look yeah. at it." You know, I mean, so, you what, know, and what does that hurt? No, it's just, in exactly right. Doesn't hurt, Kevin. Awesome. Thanks for coming to visit us on the island. I guarantee you, in 2021, we're going to teach a junior weekend, a retreat over here at Frederica. Appreciate you coming and hanging out with us, and and more than anything, I I just enjoy the time. I enjoy us chit chatting. Same thing with Coop. Coop, I mean, you're like you're like family. I mean, I you know, know, we I mean enjoy it. And, Tony, uh, I love being around you. That, no. Kevin. It wasn't it because was, I was trying to pick your brain the other yeah, day. Oh, I know, I know he was. I, I knew where you were going at. Tony, I said he knew. Yeah. All, all you need, need to get in there. All you want all you need to do to get my attention, if you want to go just have a cup of coffee, you can ask me anything and I'm an open book. So yeah. thank you. And I, I do want to kind of before we wrap up, just thank Tony for all he does for us. I mean he's he's out here kind of beating the drum, kinda, of, you know, making sure that, that you know, that the people out in the golf space that get a chance to kind of hear from some some of these people so i, I was delighted to be here and, and it's uh, fun it's fun i enjoy it i mean i'm passionate about what i do love it but i also like to have fun doing it right you know i just couldn't it do it if we fun. didn't have fun because we have a good time all of us together but awesome kevin you're the best thanks boys all right, good. Boom. thanks good fellas Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Tour Coach with Tony Ruggiero. If you enjoyed this, make sure to hit subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. If you want to learn more about Tony, head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to, 
Maybe you want to see him, grab a lesson, or go to one of his camps, pick up his book, Lessons from the Legends. You can do that there. If you want to see Tony in action with some videos and other content, head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Tony to get more info there. This episode was powered by the Golf Science Lab and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. As we go into year two of the tour coach, it wouldn't be possible without the support of all our sponsors. And I've had some great ones. And one of the things that I'm most proud of in my career and in my business is the fact that all of my relationships here and all these sponsorships have been long time, long withstanding relationships, haven't jumped from sponsor to sponsor and manufacturer to manufacturer. And I've always prided ourselves in special relationships and when people work together, support each other, and we've all put out great products for the benefits of everybody else. So I want to give a special thanks to these folks that have been with me for such a long time. And that would be the folks at Shrixon, Cleveland Golf, and Zexio. Couldn't ask for a better manufacturer to be aligned with. And not only do they put out great product and great support, but they're first-class people and they believe in what we're doing here on the Tour Coach and with the Dew Sweepers and also Vineyard Vines. Ian, Shep, TJ, and all the folks at Vineyard Vines it's hard to keep me looking good, but they do a fantastic job. And they're like family. They support everything on the Dew Sweepers. And we're so proud to be affiliated with and support the folks at Vineyard Vines. So if you're out there, you're listening to the Tour Coach, please support our sponsors, Shrixon Cleveland Golf Zexio, as well as Vineyard Vines. And keep listening and keep enjoying hanging out with us here on the Tour Coach.